This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Big news story, obviously, over the last number of days, the situation with Iran. And uh, as the plot thickens, Conrad Black weighs in, author, commentator, and historian. A happy new year to you, Conrad. We've not spoken for a while. Right, sure. Same to you, John, and to all your listeners. Thank you for that. So, Conrad, uh, this whole conundrum, uh, what should be done with Iran over this tragic, I call it mass murder? Uh, look, uh, you may well appreciate that fairness to the regime in, in Iran is not a cause that fires my bosom with enthusiasm because they are theocratic bigots, terrorists, and, and an evil, and indeed, to use their preferred adjective, satanic regime. But I cannot believe that they did this deliberately. I mean, this has got to be simply another illustration of their rank incompetence, which when you add it to their malice and evil, it gives you a very toxic uh, foreign policy. But uh, I, I can't believe that the Ayatollahs and their agents actually sat there saying, well, here's a civil airliner on its way to Ukraine with probably 150 to 200 people on it. Let's just shoot it down for the hell of it. I just don't believe that. Uh, and, and, you know, mistakes are made and particularly made by fundamentally incompetent and malign regimes like theirs. So <clears throat> I think the first thing is, <clears throat> pardon me, the, um, well, we have to get all of the overwhelming evidence since they're not cooperating. They're apparently bulldozing the crash site, and or at least the, where the debris came down, and and uh, and uh, withholding the black box and so forth. We've got to assemble the evidence that that it was in fact a missile attack, so-called friendly fire from them against a completely unoffending. Um, uh, aircraft have, uh, from an unoffending country. And uh, you've got to wonder what on earth they thought they were doing, approving commercial flights in and out of an airport in, in, the, in, in what was, in effect, a war zone, you know, while they're firing off missiles and a fireworks display that they represent as revenge against the United States, being careful not to injure any Americans. Um, and, but I, when, we, when we're absolutely sure of the evidence, I think we, since we, Canada, have no, I mean, we're representing about 30 or 35 percent of the passengers. Uh, it, it's you know, Technically, it's Ukraine's principal right to object. But I think we all have to get together. There were Germans and British and various nationalities. And, and, and I'm sure we can mobilize on this one the entire world community to demand an unconditional apology from Iran and a full confession of what happened. And uh, failing which, uh, I think we have to get the powers that have some influence, in particular the United States, to to join us in in some kind of reprisal against Iran if they're if they're going to pretend that shooting down a civil airliner and killing nearly 200 uh, completely innocent people. Uh, who are welcome visitors to their country um, is, is something they think that they can lie about, get away with, and make no explanation and, and, and just pretend that it was an accident, the fault of the Ukrainians or whatever their official position is. And uh, uh, But, I mean, I, I don't think we should be under any illusion that we as Canada have any great influence on Iran. We don't. Uh, we don't. We don't buy oil from them, and we don't have much trade with them. And I believe we've not reopened diplomatic contacts with them since... Uh, since the heroic performance of, of uh, harboring some of the American hostages back uh, in 1979. Well, uh, let me ask you, though, Conrad, I mean, uh, if there's not a whole lot that we can do singularly, what about, uh, you know, if we collude with others, including the United States? Well, that's what I say. I think we have to start with 
Ukraine as the flag of the airliner and all those nationalities that passengers on it. And there you get into the British and the Germans, who who are more influential countries with Iran than we are. I mean, they are signatories of that nonsensical uh, nuclear agreement, and they are in that camp that the Iranians are trying to intimidate uh, uh, to to force them to take issue with the United States, which is, I mean, shows the the questionable judgment of the Iranian government. Obviously, the Americans are taking the position that if they don't, if the British and Germans don't honor America's sanctions against Iran, they can forget about exporting anything to the United States. Well, you know, it doesn't take an arithmetical genius to figure out who's going to win that argument. But they, they, I, I think you've, we both said the same thing. You get all the countries with a legitimate interest, which starts with all those who had passengers on the plane. And then we mobilize practically everybody, the Chinese, the Russians, the Americans, everybody, because no one in the world is going to side with Iran on this. I mean, literally nobody, not North Korea, no one. No one believes in shooting down civil airliners, and no one believes in in hiding the evidence and denying the facts when a horrible thing like that has happened. Literally no one. So we, But we've got to show some energy. I mean, if if we were... Uh, I mean, look, if it was the United States, we know bloody well what would happen. There would be military reprisals of a kind that, that um, as Trump has said, the world has not seen before. I mean, he would, you know, they would really pay for it. But we aren't the United States, and 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 we don't have the history with Iran that the U.S. has. But I think we can mobilize a, a virtually unanimous world opinion in even such an ineffectual organization as the United Nations to to make unconditional demands of Iran that it admit what happened and give every cooperation to the interested parties and make a proper apology for it. Well, whatever suasion we exert, I mean, it's got to bring them into the realm of responsible international citizenry. And uh, obviously, they're a pariah state, so uh, putting the pressure on there and isolating them even further, I think, is the right move. But when you said it's not willful or you don't believe it is, but gross incompetence, that should give us all pause. I mean, if this is a nation that's got ambitions to have a nuclear device, and Donald Trump said that at the outset of his press conference the other day, as long as he's president, he's guaranteeing Iran never gets a nuke. Uh, now, you, by the way, that was the position that initially Obama took. He did a U-turn. It's the position George W. took, and, and as far as I know, still holds it as a, as a retired citizen. Uh, it was the position of the French government under Sarkozy. It was the position of successive British prime ministers. It is, it, the United States is now being portrayed after Obama's uh, pirouette. Uh, by some people, is taking an extreme position in regard to Iran. In fact, all Trump is doing is resurrecting the the policy of every sensible government at the time that Iran embarked upon a program of nuclear military development. Yeah, but their argument was with this nuclear deal that was signed uh, and that Trump withdrew from, uh, that showed that Iran was you know, uh, being brought into line and was uh, compliant and uh, it was being verified. And then the Iranian assets that had been frozen to the tune of $150 billion had been released to Iran. Uh, $1.7 billion had been delivered by night uh, through stealth of night on a skid to uh, the Iranians, all the, the rest of this stuff. Uh, that's where the critics are saying, well, Trump pulled the plug on this and reversed the field, and that's what's uh, exacerbated the situation. Yeah, look, to get a nuclear a missile with a deliverable nuclear warhead you have to develop the you know the rocket sophistication you have to design a warhead that you can actually work on you know put on a missile that delivers the payload without 
the missile ceasing to be aerodynamic, and you have to develop the fissile material. They allegedly suspended and promised to suspend development of the, of the necessary quantities of fissile material, ex, explosive substance. Um, but they did nothing in the other two areas where they continued uh, to progress. Well, why were they building these missiles and designing these warheads if they did not have every intention of simply uh, either waiting to the end of the 10 years and then, without violating the treaty, complete the production of the nuclear warheads? Uh, I, I mean, what was their motive then? I mean, obviously, that's what they were doing. And incidentally, it's not a verifiable agreement anyway. And we're now halfway through it. We've seen, after five years, they've done absolutely nothing uh, to indicate that they are abandoning interest in developing nuclear weapons. And the argument against Trump is rubbish. The real argument is it was an insane agreement, and everyone in his right mind knew it. Now, the Chinese and Russians went along with it because they, they were satisfied that if anyone was going to be the victim of Iranian missiles or the inconvenience caused by the existence of such missiles, even if they weren't fired, it wasn't going to be them. But uh, the, the Obama lost his head, and he persuaded Cameron and, and Hollande to go with him. Well, they, they were not such towering geniuses that that's all that surprising. But when the president of the United States does a 180-degree turn on an issue like that, it violates the – and I, I wrote this in the National Post, published tomorrow, and on, on, you know, on the Internet now. Uh, president Roosevelt said in 1941 that we must never be an appeasement power. He said it in the State of the Union message, and he said in his war message after Pearl Harbor, we will make very certain that this form of treachery never again endangers us. And those principles have been adhered to by subsequent presidents. Obama uh, departed from it. He's the only president since Roosevelt, 12 presidents, who, who has departed from it in the appeasement category. He appeased Iran, and, and, and Trump is undoing that mistake, and we should all support him for doing it. Again, with Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. So let me ask you finally, as a point of departure, uh, they're departing the royal family and going their own way, Meghan and Harry. You've been following the story, Conrad? Yeah, somewhat. somewhat yeah. <laughs> well, all right. I mean, uh, does it have broader implications for the future of the royals? Uh, you know, when they talk about wanting to stake out their own terrain and be more progressive, do you see them as transformative figures or maybe just irresponsible ingrates who are egotistical, I think, to quote Piers Morgan in the Daily Mail? I, look, I don't want to say unkind things about uh, the, these personalities. It's a difficult thing to be, uh, whether you're purporting to depart the royal life or not, to be in that family. You know, you're in a goldfish bowl, and it's easy to criticize. And in general, I think, as a group, they do a good job in a difficult position. Uh, but I, I think on on, on which it is, whether Piers is right or or, or the apologists or supporters of uh, Harry and Meghan are right, uh, we, we just have to see how they act. I mean, it's all very nice they want to be financially independent, but I have my doubts, as Piers Morgan does and others, that they, that they have absolutely any ability whatever to be financially independent without leaning on the fact of their royal connection. Now, if they do, if she can actually be a successful actress on her own merits, and, and Harry has some skills that, that we don't know about that enable him to make a good living, uh, then uh, and they proceed in that way, then I think we have to salute them for having made a choice. It was their right to make the choice. They made it, they, and they've carried it out. If it is, in fact, as critics are saying now, 
absolute hypocrisy. They're just they're just publicity seekers trying to pretend that they that they conduct the the duties and the opprobrium in Republican circles of being royals while enjoying all the perquisites of it. Uh, and apparently, the, as, as of now, they're still getting a, a pay packet from, you know, from Buck House, as they say. Right. Well, plus they have the estate. Diana left uh, $9.1 million and, uh Well, in fairness, a man doesn't have to renounce his mother's estate. I mean, no, I, I, no, I, I agree. I, that's okay. But he might be an arc uh, welder or a pipe fitter. We don't know. For all uh, intents and purposes, he might be taking night courses. Uh, but there was a report before, actually, they talked about uh, leaving their royal duties this way. Uh, 60% of Canadians in a poll want to see him become the Governor General of Canada. How do you feel about that? Uh, I think I think it would... Uh, uh, it's it's a two-part question. One is, is the idea in the abstract a good one? The other is, is he the person? On the first part, I think it is a good idea. We've got to do something with the position of Governor General. It's becoming more ludicrous all the time. And, and the fact is, the colonial governors we had from both the French and the British were often highly distinguished people. And, and and not and not frankly a rather second echelon job lot that we've had recently. I mean, there you know I have different views about different ones of them, but the last that I would rate as really distinguished was Jean Sauvé. But um, uh, and and it's a colonial office, so it, if we can do it in a way that emphasizes the the upper reaches of the Commonwealth, the more advanced Commonwealth countries, and therefore those with a greater potential to be a positive influence acting together in the world. Uh, that was a way to do it, and it's a good idea. If Harry's the one, I would have thought it would have been fine two weeks ago, and I and I give him the benefit of the doubt that it's still fine, except he may have taken himself out of the running. I, may I just add one point that's just slightly to the side of what you said? Mm-hmm. I think that this development is seen in the context of coming right on the heels of this terrible fiasco with the Duke of York. Uh, is a bad thing for the royal institution to have the the queen's second eldest son and and the 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 senior brother of the uh, uh, presumptive next king mm-hmm. uh basically kicked out of buckingham palace and banished and then and then a few weeks later his nephew uh who, who I, I think is Third in line to the throne after Prince Charles and and Prince William. They say six. No, I guess I guess William's children would yep. rank him, yep. so he's come down a bit now. Mm-hmm. But but you know he's, he's, a, he's a prominent royal, not an outlier royal. For, for him to take a walk like this, it it is a bit destabilizing for the institution. It, it can recover from it, but goodness knows this king is queen. I should say has been indestructible, and she's uh, what coming on to ninety four in April, and mm-hmm. what sixty next month will be uh, will be. 68 years. Wow. She's not embarrassed anybody in all that time. It's an amazing record, but even she can't go on forever. Yeah, well, that's, uh, she's eclipsed Victoria, I think. Uh, Surpassed Victoria. She's now bearing down with fire out of her nostrils on the supreme all-time champions, uh, Franz Joseph. And and uh, Louis the, Louis the Fourteenth was the king of France for seventy two years, but wow. but he, he he didn't exercise the position until he was of age. He he became king at the age of five, but <laughs> technically she could still pass him. Right, it all depends on how early a start you get, I guess. Uh, Conrad, always a pleasure. Great insights as usual. Uh, we'll talk next week. Right, sure. Thanks, John. Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. 
Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.